right, everybody. Welcome back to the Sons of Saturday podcast. It is Monday afternoon, October 11th. And, uh, you know, again, had to, let, had to let this one marinate a little bit. Uh, we are here, myself, uh, Pat Finn in Charlotte, Billy Ray Mitchell up in Westwood, New Jersey. Grayson Wimbish, welcome, my friend. Grayson is also in Charlotte, right around the corner. We didn't do this in person, um, but welcome to the Queen City, Grayson. Before we jump in to this, uh, to this pod, we got to break it down and give our props to our favorite friend down there at the Main Street Pharmacy, Dr. Lord Jeremy Counts. Saw him this weekend. I know you guys popped in the pharmacy. I saw him at Sharky's. You know, he had a big grin on his face. He was having a great time. Dr. Jeremy Counts and the Main Street Pharmacy will take care of you as a Blacksburg resident, as a Virginia Tech alum or student or anyone who loves the Hokies. Jeremy loves the Hokies just as much. Jeremy loves the Virginia Tech community. The Main Street Pharmacy is where you jump in and are treated like a neighbor, not a number. Head on down there. Uh, go check out the Sons of Saturday uh, swag that they'll be handing out. They will be handing out stickers and beat pit pins this weekend. We got a big one coming up against Pittsburgh. But uh, this Hokie IQ is brought to you by the Main Street Pharmacy, submitted by Grady Baker. Thank you, Grady B. I know we, we, we exchanged some words after the game. That actually made it sound like we were yelling at each other. We were not yelling at each other at all. He was just like, hey, Pat, have fun with that podcast, man. Uh, so he submits this hokey haiku. Another close loss. This month dictates the future. We still have a chance. So, guys. Uh, Shout out Grady Baker. Grady B. Always delivering. He's like Willie Byrne. Uh, or he's like Storm Murphy, the new paper boy. Um, Grayson, Billy Ray, before we jump into it, before we, you know, talk about where we watched and where we tailgated and all that good stuff, how you guys doing after, uh, after this weekend? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say this, um, <clears throat> well, first and foremost, I brought, um, good friend of mine, Steve Shanley from back home. He came out, uh, and Matt Rivera, he made his annual trip to, uh, to Blacksburg, incredible environment, incredible, um, showing, um, loved getting to Blacksburg, loved spending time with you guys, uh, loved being able to see everybody. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm doing okay. I'm doing a lot better than I was doing on Sunday. Sunday was a rough day. I don't know who took 81 North back home, but it took me about, um, no joke. It took me 11 hours to get home from Blacksburg to New Jersey yesterday. So pretty crazy day of travel. A lot of, a lot of stuff going on on the highway. Pretty rough, uh, Pretty rough morning and afternoon. Didn't get home till about one o'clock uh, in the morning last night. Yeah, man. Uh, all things considered, I mean, we're all we're all uh, alive. That's that's counts for something. We all got to see each other this weekend. Uh, like Pat said, I'm in the Queen City for one more night. I head back to LA tomorrow morning, but uh, I get to go with, with Pat Finn to a kickball game tonight. So I'm really excited about that, actually. Um, but you know, uh, we always say on here, recording after a loss. Our least favorite thing to do, always. So let's get into it. Let's talk about some things. Where did we watch and where did we tailgate? Grayson, kick it off. Start of the game. Well, first off, we uh, I was tailgating all over the place. Tail, tailgated at the Manor for a little bit. Was in lot one. We did a roots tailgate over there. We handed out every single bowl that we had. That was awesome. 
Uh, and then I was, yeah, man, we, we, uh, we started in lot one to everyone who came out to that. Thank you. First off. And then we made our way over to center and we passed up the, the remaining few bowls that we had left. Uh, and then I was in lot one for, for the rest of the day with, with my old man and my brother. And then you guys came over for a little bit. Uh, and then we'll watch the first half of the game in section 10 with my dad and his fraternity brother, George, and then Hampton and I made our way over to section five and watched the rest of the game in section five. And that was uh, that was awesome. That was a lot. Of, that was a lot of fun. Had an absolute blast. Billy Ray, what about yeah, you, man? Uh, same thing. Um, the best section in America, section five of uh, Lane Stadium. Uh, my second time in section five. I love it. I mean, we were missing missing a good chunk of the uh, of the usual suspects, but uh, we had some new faces in section five, which was great. Um, I also, uh, I mean, we did a lot of walking. Um, we. For those of you who are familiar, we heard the um, the Mr. and Mrs. Finn love story uh, during the campus tour uh, that we had so graciously by Mr. Finn. He has the backwards walk uh, down pat. Uh, he has the backwards <laughs> walk. I'm taking you on the campus tour thing down perfectly. It's funny ahead, Pat. because he hosts people in town every single year um, and loves doing the campus tour. Absolutely I don't think it's something it. I love more than whenever I bring someone back to Blacksburg, like I... I, I first of all have I have have secondhand excitement for that person, and I'm probably more excited than that person is, uh, and love taking them around campus, showing them everything. Um, so, you know, a lot of walking around, watch the game in section five, tailgated in lot one, tailgated at German Club, um, stop by at the Wimbush tailgate, um, had a great time. So that was my uh, that was my day. Yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, started up with the Roots tailgate. It was cool passing them out on center at the very end. Um, the kids were all over it. Center Street, I saw uh, Brandon Walker tweeted, I've been to tailgates and stadiums all over the country, and there is nothing I've ever seen like Center Street. Uh, that was pretty funny to see, and that was a scene as usual. I, I saw some wild posts out there on, on Instagram of, of some of the uh, – the fun stuff going on over there. Um, got to stop by the uh, Clean Mountain Air booth and the Cornell Effect booth with Corn and Lays and Dr. Cran. Uh, hang out, hung out there for a good chunk of my day. Uh, it was great catching up with them. Stopped by the Lot Two Tailgate Crew Tailgate, the best VT tailgate. We tweeted it out last week. Uh, Christina Daves is an alum um, from the late 1980s, and she. And her husband, Steve, run this incredible tailgate down there. And it was nothing short of legendary. I'm very excited to uh, to stop stop by over there for uh, my remaining years as a Hokie fan, which is forever. Um, saw Tracy Castle Newman down there, the Blackwood squad, met up with Carl Mitchell at the VTTI tailgate, uh, which is always a good time. Uh, Andrew Mitchell in town, love to see it. The rest of the Mitchell squad. And then went back to German Club. All my cousins were there. Uh, aunts, uncles, extended family, um, friends, you know, you name it. Um, they were all over there and always a pleasure. My brother was in town for his first Virginia tech game since 2016, Miami Thursday night. Um, he, what he graduated from Notre Dame last year, his girlfriend, Claire, the same thing. It was her first time in Blacksburg. It looks like they had a tremendous time. Uh, in town as well. And then watched in section five, got to give a couple shout outs, met these guys who drove all the way from long Island and another group that drove all the way from Massachusetts. And they come to, I want to say every game, um, 
Jeff. And then the other guy, I believe his name was Griff. If I'm getting the names wrong, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but really enjoyed watching with them. So, um, but yeah, just a fun time and, you know, 57 solid minutes of football in Lane Stadium. But let's uh, let's hash it out. Talk about likes and dislikes. Um, Bill, if you want to kick it off with dislikes uh, on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, just, um, you know, I have some other stuff that I'll mention, but I think, you know, upon I just wrote this down as soon as I watched the game um, offensively. At the end of the day, we were dominated at the line of scrimmage. There was nothing that our offense could do in between the tackles. Um, I think that that definitely affected some of our decision making, whether that be on fourth and one or uh, first and goal on the one yard line. Um, the best way to describe it, I would say, is playing Notre Dame is essentially like playing a Big Ten team. Uh, they're big up front, they're strong up front, um, and they dominated the line of scrimmage. Um, our offense, we rushed the ball for 37 times, uh, 134 yards, which is 3.6 yards per carry. Um, but a lot of that productivity came from jet sweeps that came from tosses that came from quarterback, uh, quarterback scrambles. Um, we really were not able to get essentially anything going, uh, in the run game. If you look at it, um, Raheem Blackshear had eight carries for 35 yards. Jalen Holston had five carries for negative one yard. Um, you know, it just, it just wasn't happening yesterday. Uh, we had seven quarterback hurries. We gave up seven TFLs. Um, it just was not, was not a great showing up front. Um, and that's really what stuck out to me on the offense. Yeah. I mean, Bill, I think, um, all in all, you know, the offensive performance, like it wasn't the most abysmal abhorrent thing I've, I've ever seen. There were some drop passes. You can't have that in a game, especially against Notre Dame. Run blocking wasn't great. It definitely was not was the horrible. best. It was hard. Yeah, it was not not great. Our running backs really were not able to do anything. Uh, this is a minor gripe. Uh, it's something I've griped about in the past. Just kind of like <sighs> JPR hit that field goal, that 52-yarder, and that was awesome. But, like, the kind of the urgency, I was worried. I'm like, come on, dude. Like, we are burning the clock. We are burning the clock. Like, come on, let's, let's march down the field and try and do something. Luckily, we did. We scored. I was like, Ugh, just that in the past has been an issue. These well, are all things. Th- I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't, you're going to have to explain that better. Sure. Yeah, no, I'm uh, happy to do that. No, I'm, ha- I'm happy because, to do that. We got the football at 32 seconds left and everybody's saying, we're going to need the ball. We're going to need the ball. We're going to need the ball. I'm on the side of, we should need the ball. Uh, and we didn't, we went 46 yards in five plays and kicked a 52 yard. We, field. we, we didn't need the football, but we have in prior games. And I'm like, here we go. We're going to turtle. We're going to turtle up. They go, Notre Dame goes down. They score a touchdown. They make it 14 to 10. And I'm like, this is so vintage. We're not going to try anything. Come on, let's move. And I'm like, this is taking a little while. This is taking a little while. And we finally get in the field goal range. Yes, he makes it. But I'm like, what's going to happen here? What are we doing? Are you like, saying before? Are you saying before we even started doing it? I mean, I I, I don't think we could have been more efficient than <laughs> I don't. We I don't know we we did it, but thing. it's a it's a concern. I said it's a minor gripe. Okay, it's a minor gripe. Anyway, moving on. These are all things we talk about. I think obviously everyone's talking about it. The most concerning thing right now is our lack of depth at the quarterback position. Braxton Burmeister. We found out today will play against Pittsburgh on Saturday. That's great news. 
I worry about that. I really do. I'm actually really, really concerned about Braxton's health in general. I really hope that he's okay. Blumrick, Connor Blumrick, uh, he's proven he can run. He can't throw from what I've seen, and he is banged up. Coach Wednesday said today he's out indefinitely. So where does that leave us? Knox Kadem, uh, he came into that Richmond game and threw an interception immediately. I'm not so sure he can throw. So, like, if Burmeister goes down on Saturday or has to come out of the game on Saturday, it's what do we where where do we get from there? It's like, will we see Taj Bullock? And so it's I don't know the the quarterback position right now is it's a scary situation. It's just across the board. It's very, very frightening. So. I don't disagree with that. My, uh, my gripes here with the offense from Saturday um, is the fact that we had a 19 yard field goal and a 26 yard field goal in the game. Um, Mostly, you know, mostly the 19 yard field goal. We had a 19 yard field goal because we had first and goal at the two yard line. And again, uh, we saw just we didn't get it in the end zone. I mean, fourth and uh, first and two, first and goal at the two, you should be getting six points. Um, that you know, it's inexplicable. It's the reason we watch we lost the West Virginia game, and um, just disappointing. Um, but some other decision making on the offensive side of the ball that was suspect. I know Billy wants to talk about the fourth and one thing. Uh, I want to talk about more so the two point conversion decision making after Waller's pick six. Um, you know, you have a false start and all of a sudden, you know, you're trying to get two points and you have eight yards to go rather than three yards. And you have a quarterback who can't throw the ball. Um, Coach Fu talked about it today in the press conference. He said he thought his pride got in the way of that decision. And I mean, just looking back on that, man, like the fact that we're trying to roll out Connor Blumrich to throw a pass, you know, have we seen him complete any passes, you know, this, this season so far, let's put him out in a critical moment uh, after we just went ahead. Um, just totally brutal. And it didn't deflate the stadium because the stadium was so juiced up because we just had a pick six, one of the best pick sixes I've seen in years in lane stadium. But, um, you know, first and goal at the two, can't score six points. And then a two-point conversion attempt after the false start is just, like, completely mind-numbing, in my opinion. There's um, no way that was, we came away for, with with six points on first and goal from the one. Um, if you go back and you look at the breakdown of, of, of the plays that we ran, um, it was, again, one of our most successful drives. It was a 14-play, 59-yard drive. Uh, you get the ball down to the Notre Dame one yard line. Uh, first down, uh, you run a quick, you run a quick hitter. Um, you try to catch Notre Dame without being able to substitute. They had four, I believe they had four or two second string defensive tackles in. So you try to hurry up, not give them the ability to substitute, um, get stuffed like we had all day, uh, in between the tackles. Um, didn't like the second down call. We had Connor Blumrick pass the ball. To Jaden Payute, that didn't work out. And then on third and goal, we ran a fade route with uh, Braxton to Trey Turner, um, which with a better ball, maybe you connect on it. But at the end of the day, like if the results, the same thing, we <clears throat> come up short, don't score points or don't score six um, and it bit us in the ass. Um, that sucks. Uh, it's, it continues to be an issue. Um, 
And yeah, I, I, I'll talk about the, um, I'll talk about going for two real quick. So before we, before we got the penalty, my thought process before we lined up, before I knew who was going to be on the field was if Braxton Burmeister is not going back in this ball game, we're probably not going to score another point. Uh, we're probably not going to score any more points. We're going to have to play defense and hope the defense is on the field for the majority of the game. So that made sense to me. Um, that made sense before you get the penalty, try to go up three um, and just kind of play defensive uh, defensive football the rest of the game after the penalty. Yeah. I tip my cap to coach for, for, for owning it and saying that it was uh, you know, his, his decision. Um a bit of a breath of fresh air because there have been several times where uh, we have been critical or other people have been critical about um, not really taking ownership for some, for some decisions. Um, But he took that square on the chest and said it was his decision. Um, And I think selfishly, that's probably how he thought about it. And he was like, look, we need points here. We need to go up the the full three. Um, But I mean, with Connor Blumrick at a quarterback, there's, there's a no, there's a no chance that that was going to get converted. So you know, uh, it's kind of easy uh, to go back and and look at how the rest of the game unfolded and say, well, this wouldn't have mattered because this happened, this happened, and this happened. But if you go for one, it completely changes the way that Notre Dame is reacting on offense, um, whether you're playing from behind, playing tied or whatever. Uh, it just changes the way that Notre Dame is going to react. So, yeah, I, I hated I hated going for two, and I hated not scoring on the on the one yard line. Absolutely, it's brutal. Brutal. Uh, Grayson, defense. Yeah. Um, so defense struggle with coverage over the middle of the field in this ball game. Uh, Jack Cohn burned us repeatedly right in the center of the field. Avery Davis, number three, absolute menace. And Jack Cohn was continually able to find him for these chunk gains that helped set up Notre Dame scores. Uh, our defensive line wasn't getting a lot of pressure. Uh, a lot of pressure I thought we'd be able to get. We talked to Luke and Tyler about that. That was one of their big concerns. It's like, oh, our offensive line, you know, it's not going to be able to hold your defensive line. Well, I mean, we sacked Jack Cohn twice, but he had a lot of time back there, and he was able to put the ball where it needed to go. Uh, prime example of too much time, that two-point conversion that they had. Cohn had entirely, he had like uh, all day, he's scrambling to the right, And secondary, let Kevin Austin Jr. get in front of him. To his credit, he made an incredible play. But you just can't let that happen. With 222 minutes and 26 seconds left in the game, you stop them from doing that. We, I'm convinced we win the ball game, and that's it. All we have to do is let our offense get back out on the field and just roll the clock. You just can't give that up after calling a timeout, no less. Um, so the defensive secondary, that that was kind of a kind of a low point on the evening. We did let them march and march a lot, and the two-point conversion thing was abysmal. It was just not good. Uh didn't love that. I, I wanna I wanna I'll give you my dislikes in a second. My one zag to you on the two-point conversion is I think. I think it was more Notre Dame making an incredible play than it was us not being sound. Um, We flushed the quarterback out of the pocket. He rolled white, right. Um, Garbett was held. um, And I'm not saying that's the reason that they made the play, but Garbett was basically tackled. uh, So you lose contain, he's able to get outside. And at the end of the day, defensive backs are not going to be able to guard guard for 
eight, 10, 12 seconds. Um, so he scrambled out of the pocket, threw the ball up there. They made an incredible play. Um, and that's pretty much how it, how it boiled down. Um, I don't think it was an issue of, you know, not really getting pressure, not, uh, or kind of letting him stand back there. We did flush him out of the pocket and then they tackled our defensive end and he threw it up there and the guy came down with it. That's, uh, I guess that's why Tywin Garbutt threw his mouthpiece after that play. I noticed as that. As soon as the play was over. I don't know if you guys um, saw while that. He, while he got outside, he gets up with both of his hands in the air because um, he was essentially bear hugged to the ground. That gave the quarterback the ability to get outside of the pocket. And um, and look, like I don't want to take anything away from Notre Dame. Like that's, That is an incredible, gutsy play. Um, and the quarterback made it made an awesome uh Made an awesome play and won the football game. Austin got in front of him. Austin got in front. I, I think it was Shamari Connor, but Kevin Austin Jr. got in front of him and just came out of nowhere. But I'm just like, ah, you know, yeah. I, I looked at Pat at that point. I said, they're going to get it. They're going to get it. They're going to get it. And they got it. And just, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. But um, Pat, go ahead, buddy. It reminded me of, uh, I mean, we're at the point where I think, you know, probably over half the people in the building just knew, including Grayson, that Notre Dame yep. was going to make a play. Uh, just just by how things have been going over the last decade now for Virginia Tech. But when that ball was in the air, seemingly forever in the yeah. air, uh, Matt Ryan, 2007, how it just just got over. I think it just got over Xavier Deby and uh, Calendar made the catch in the back of the end zone. Um, but same exact feeling. Um, just, just hate to see it. I feel like, I feel like we've had so many of those deflating plays over the last, uh, 10 years. I mean, over forever, you know, but, <laughs> but, uh, that's, that it is what it is. Um, what else you got, Billy? I know you wanted yeah. to about the defense. Some, some other stuff. I mean, Grayson, you alluded to it. We had two sacks in the first quarter and then we didn't have another TFL the entire game. Um, that was it. Uh, Notre Dame's offensive line had the best game that they've had this season. Um, very impressive, played really well. Uh, aside from that, we were horrible tackling. Um, if you go back and you watch the Notre Dame drive from the end of the third quarter, um, their yards after contact all day, they were bouncing off guys, rolling off guys, uh, making plays. We didn't see the rain that we thought we'd see. Um, but Notre Dame was still, um, still extremely slippery. If you go ahead and you look at their rushing, they rushed for 173 yards at a four yards uh, a clip. Um, so that was brutal. And then I go back and I look at these three drives, and, and it, 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 even though they were sporadically sprinkled uh, in different times of the game, it reminded me very much of West Virginia. Um, 50% of the output from Notre Dame and 17 of their 32 points came from three drives. Uh, that was the Notre Dame drive right before halftime. They went 90, nine plays, 80 yards, touchdown. Uh, to tie the game, they went seven plays, 75 yards, and a touchdown. And to win the game, they went seven plays, 45 yards, and a touchdown. That's 17 points um, and 200 yards on three drives, um, where the defense, you go back and you look at, uh, excuse me, the last one was a field goal. Um, but you go back and you look at the defense and you say, look, our defense played really, really well um, outside of those three drives. Uh, we have to find a way to be consistent um, for 60 minutes. The offense, the defense, special teams hit was was phenomenal yesterday. Um, but yeah, uh, those three drives were, were killers. Um, uh, some aided by penalty, some aided by letting guys run wide open down the field. 
Um, but yeah, that was, uh, that's kind of what I had for uh, defense. For me, it's really just uh, the targeting call, man. I like, you could, you could make an argument one way or the other way. We would have won the game without the targeting or the targeting call didn't have an impact uh, on the game. But anybody saying that the targeting did not have an impact on the game is, is fooling themselves. I, I, I don't, I, I don't know what argument you can make that says that losing the, your play caller on defense and giving up 15 yards and silencing the stadium has no impact on the game. So I don't think you can make an argument either way. I think that's a ridiculous argument, but yeah. And yeah, I, I don't agree with the call at all. And I think Dax played his heart out just losing a guy like that uh, in crunch time can really deflate your defense and, and putting a guy in there who, you know, he's not Dax Hollifield um, clearly made an impact on the remainder of the game as well. Yeah, I don't want to take anything away from Dax. Dax had eight tackles. Um, there are a couple times, I think twice, uh, where Dax was in an open field tackle type of uh, type of situation where, again, we just weren't able to wrap somebody up. It goes from maybe a two-yard gain to a 15- or 20-yard gain um, if we want to nitpick. But, again, I, enough can't be said about Dax and his leadership and, and how much he's been playing better since he's moved to the Mike linebacker position. Um, and – the combination, the combination of losing him and giving up the 15 yards and completely deflating the stadium. I mean, the moment that the hit happened, it was the similar roar that you heard when we had the pick six. I mean, it's it's gonna it's about to be second and ten. It's do or die for Notre Dame. And um, and uh, you know, if we're talking about it now, it was shocking how quickly they reviewed it. I mean, they reviewed that. You know, it it didn't look as as cut and dry as a you know, oh, that's definitely targeting because you know. And fundamentally, maybe I miss Maybe I don't understand the rule because if I'm looking at it, I don't know how you teach Dax Hollifield to do something different in that split second, other than just let him catch the ball and don't touch him. Um, so uh, it, it looked to be as perfect as you could teach it. He led with his shoulder. Um, he appeared to not hit him directly in the head, um, but they reviewed it. And I think they maybe spent, maybe spent 25, 30 seconds reviewing it. And then it was not long field so um the inconsistency you know, the inconsistency with targeting is the biggest for one asinine. of the biggest issues in college football uh right well, now and you you see it you see it every single week yeah. on on twitter it it impacts these games every single that's week, why, week, yeah. in and week out. that's why i told you grayson when you were like uh i get angry at people when they cheer for targeting, regardless of what team it was, when Notre Dame's second string. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know exactly what you're talking I about. I literally looked at you. I was like, Grayson, stop cheering. Like, I hate targeting. <laughs> I don't want to support the targeting call in any ramification right. or any way whatsoever. Because at the end of the day, all these guys practice super hard, um, and they're competing, and they're trying to win the football game. What's crazy about the Notre Dame targeting call was if you watch – their tight end is in the slot and it's their second string tight end because Mayer was out. He didn't take a snap the other day. And up until the snap, he's got his hands in the air. He doesn't know what the play call is. So the ball gets snapped. He has no idea what the play is. And he just tried to go hit somebody and hit somebody. He did. He almost, he almost killed a defensive back. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm never, I'm never fired up for a, for a, for a targeting call. Uh, I just, it, it, I hate it. 
I, all, I, all, all I could think of when Dax made that hit and laid the wood and the crowd pops is I, I think of that play, Pat, and Bill, I think you've seen the video too, of Brandon Flowers versus Kent State in 2006 or 2007, and he, he shoulders that dude and absolutely lays him out. Lane Stadium goes crazy, huge crowd pop. And I'm like, if that were today, Brandon Flowers is thrown out of the game. And, and I saw what Dax did, and I'm like, he kind of did the same thing. It was, like, very similar. Um, but, yeah, I mean, sucked the air right out of the stadium. Just and we, lose, and we lose Dax for the first half against Pittsburgh, which is – Which is bad. Huge, huge, uh, huge blow to this defense. Yes. And I don't want it to get misconstrued either. Like I, I, I think it's, I think it's lazy and irresponsible to say that that is the reason that we lost the football game. Um, but it certainly right. was a huge contributing factor um, sure. to, to losing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, moving on to, uh, to special teams. What do you guys have? Sure. I mean, the only thing, the only thing I really have again, minor gripe. Uh, if I had to do one thing differently on special teams, there at the end when we have like 13 seconds left, while I probably agree, I agree with the notion that the game was over at that point. I probably would have called a fair, fair catch to get the guaranteed spot at the 25 yard line. And then you just yeah try and do something as opposed to you take it, you burn, burn clock. And then maybe you don't even get to the 25. Uh, but you know, there's only so much you can do at that point, but I just, fielding that kick I didn't love because it took even more time off the clock so yeah I mean this is the Billy Ray versus Grayson's minor gripe podcast I mean I think uh, I the way I looked at that was yes you're right the game at that point game was over um but regardless Virginia Tech has one of the best return units in the country I feel as comfortable or more comfortable with our return unit um trying to make something happen than going to get a chunk play on offense um so I think the the risk reward of eight to 10 seconds with the ball in Keyshawn King, Raheem Blackshear, or Jalen Holston's hands with the kick return unit out there uh, is definitely worth taking that shot. Because um, at the end of the day, if you have those that same amount of time, you're probably running the same place um, with, uh, I believe we had no timeouts at, the, at that time, but. Um, I think we had one, we only have one left. So, you know, there's, uh, you know, I think we're, I think we're splitting hairs there. I would have much rather tried to make something happen on kick return. Um, yeah, I think, you know, we're going to get into some of the other situational stuff down the line. Um, we're going to move into likes now. Um, I just want to preface this by saying there were a lot of things to like, um, especially from the actual players on both sides of the ball. Um, I think we need to take into account, like, I don't think anybody is faulting the effort or faulting the, um, the way that we played. I think, I think Virginia tech came out, competed at a really high level um, and um, played their guts out. And that's why for me, this one hurts so bad. Uh, It's so different than if you go out and you look at Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh game from 2020, or you look at um, man, I don't know uh, uh, the Boston college game from 2019. Um, That's what sucks is this was a really whether you want to say they're a good Notre Dame team or not, it's a talented Notre Dame game, Notre Dame team that came in angry after losing to Cincinnati and our guys laid it out on the line. Um, guys playing hurt guys playing out of position um, guys playing that haven't played a whole lot this year 
Um, but let's go ahead and let's talk about what we liked from uh, from this offense, starting with the offense. Sure. Uh, 321 total yards on 71 plays. We averaged 4.5 yards per play. Personally, I love that a lot of guys got a piece of the pie in this game. It wasn't just Keyshawn King. It wasn't just Raheem Blackshear, but you saw – you know, Tavion Robinson had a good catch or two. Trey Turner's involved in the game on the Jets sweep. And then, you know, Blumrick's coming in. It's like we kind of pulled out all the stops. Like a lot of guys were getting touches. Uh, you know, I also admire the physical toughness of Burmeister. He's a tough son of a gun. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm glad he's playing next week at homecoming against Pittsburgh. I just, he he wanted the team to win so bad you could see it clear as day. He's on the sideline popping pills to get back in there, uh, and then that touchdown run he had. We were all going crazy in section five with three minutes and fifty five seconds left in the fourth. Um, but you know, I, I admire his tenacity. I admire his toughness. I just hope the dude's okay, straight up. Uh, I'm I, I really really do. I hope that the coaching staff and I think they're being transparent. It's just like you know, is QB one all right? So, yeah, I want to talk about something. I saw a lot of times on Twitter uh, people saying that he shouldn't have been playing or he shouldn't have been put back in the game Um, from his presser. He said that he lost feeling in his hands and his shoulder um, and he was good to go back in. Um, I I'm not nobody's a doctor. Nobody talked to Dr. Rogers. Nobody talked to Braxton Burmeister directly. I think it's pretty foolish to think that we would reinsert a quarterback that has a, uh, that we know has a structural uh, structural issue with his shoulder um, or is at high risk of re-injuring himself. I'm, I'm going to trust uh, the doctors and Braxton Burmeister himself for allowing himself to go back in the game. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I can't say enough about the toughness and tenacity of him. I mean, um, regardless of how you feel about his play early on or anything else, I, I thought this was the best he's looked all season. Um, uh, he battled. He made two incredible plays that were pivotal. Um, we ran what looked to be an option route to Turner, uh, and it looks like Turner ran uh, a curl or a comeback uh, when it should have been something uh, over the top. A lot of people kind of were wondering if Braxton threw a bad ball. I just think it was an option route that we were on the different pages there. looked like that would have been a touchdown. Uh, and then the other one, uh, second and 10, last drive of the game, Brad dials up a, a chunk play, a double move, uh, and it's just out of the reach of Trey Turner. It touched his hands. Um, really, really brutal. Um, but Braxton really laid it out on the line, his running touchdown, and then a couple other plays by Braxton. I mean, um, pass to Tavion Robinson on third and five at the end of the first quarter. Uh, you had the screen dump to Gallo when we essentially blocked nobody on the line of scrimmage. It was essentially a jailbreak. Um, that was incredible. He jumped and threw it across his body. Pat, I turned to you and I said, man, that's a, that's an extremely tough play to make. Uh, and then again, the first throw following his injury, this was, this to me was the biggest play that he made all day, uh, where I was like, this guy's, this guy's a tough son of a bitch. He, um, he comes back in the game. It's his first time throwing the ball and Notre Dame's best player. He's going to be a top five pick in the NFL draft is completely unblocked. He is running full speed at Braxton's face, lays his helmet right into his chest. Uh, and Braxton delivers a, uh, a bullet to Turner for a first down on third and five. So, I mean, I can't, I can't say enough uh, positive things about Braxton. I know he's caught a lot of, uh, a lot of flack. 
um, early on. But I think if you look at him and look at the progression he's going to need to make in his journey uh, as becoming or being the starting quarterback at Virginia Tech, um, he took a lot of steps in the right direction. The last thing that I'll say about the offense, I mean, you said it, Grayson. Brad Cornelson took his Viagra on Saturday morning. I mean, this guy was dialing it up. I, I loved our offensive scheme. We 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 sprinkled in some uh, some Blumrick. Blumrick was great. He's a good change of pace guy. I'm hoping he gets healthy soon. That was a nasty, nasty injury. Um, we were creative. We were putting guys in uh, positions to do things that they do best. Um, and, uh, the East and West game was something we absolutely had to do. Um, because again, we're not going to win in between the tackles. Uh, we found that out very early on in the game. Um, and we put in some new wrinkles. So, you know, I, I, I would say this, like coming away from it, I love the way the team played and I hope that we continue this aggressive, um, changing it up mindset that we have had because we have now seen it in the West Virginia game. We have seen it in the Richmond game and we have seen it in the Notre Dame game, trying different stuff. It's not the same old song and dance. We're doing different things. Um, so I'm hoping that that continues to move in that direction. Braxton and, and Blumrick really battled, man. Um, my heart, I, heart I, I, I feel for both of them just because they both got beat up real good especially after having last week off to kind of recuperate. Um, so, I mean, I hope Blumrick's back at some point this year and then um, really hope Braxton is just, you know, as close to hundred percent as possible ahead of Pittsburgh on Saturday. Uh, can, I I do- can I make one more nitpick that I forgot, Pat, if you don't mind on the quarterback yeah. before we move on, I think, I think the one thing, cause I, in my opinion, Braxton played as close to a, I'm going to catch the flat. I think he played as close to a perfect game as he could have played. I think he played phenomenal. The one area where I think he really struggles and he's been struggling with this year is the flare pass to the flat, whether that's going, usually that goes to Raheem Blackshear and Raheem Blackshear is a guy that needs to have the ball in space. He has a bad, he has a bad tendency to either sail that ball or just not get it to him at all. We have to find a way to get Raheem Blackshear, the ball in space. And if he's going to be in the backfield, that's primarily how we're going to get it done. So I would say that is probably the one thing that we absolutely must fix. It's like a yips situation. It's a very, he can make some very difficult throws. That's probably the easiest throw that he can make. Um, but he's a making it from the pocket, which he's probably not very comfortable doing. You can't do it rolling out. Um, and um, we have to find a way to do that because that's the way we're going to get Raheem to actually the ball in space. Um, but that's my nitpick with, uh, with Braxton in this previous game. Yeah, if you go if you go on Raheem Blackshear's highlight video from Rutgers, pretty much all the big plays that he's making are from those passes. Um, and if Braxton can unlock that, then we will see you know kind of like a next level to Raheem Blackshear because we're getting a lot out of Raheem Blackshear right now, but we still haven't seen you know that Rutgers Raheem Blackshear that we had seen on his highlight tape. Um, but yeah, you know, nice to see some of the new guys as well. Uh, newcomers getting in on the action. Malachi Thomas had three carries. Uh, he's a true freshman. Um, Jane Payute, you know, was intended um, on a pass here in this game. It's just good to see him on the field, man, because I know he's been battling the hamstring all year. Daywan Lofton uh, also uh, was intended on a pass, uh, I think, early on in the game. But, um, you know, 
next week is the ha- is essentially the halfway point in the season. Um, we'll be six games in, and I think these guys are going to be on the field a little bit more as they uh, engage in practice week over week. Um, but all right, let's kick it over to the defense. Grayson, uh, start us off with what you liked from the defensive side of the ball. Let's start here, man. Jermaine Waller had a freaking pick six. I swear to you, like five minutes before that happened, I leaned over to some random dude in the crowd. And I just said to him, it's been a minute since we've had any type of like scoop and score, pick six, any kind of defensive touchdown. And then boom, it's like, it's like Jermaine Waller heard me. And then he picks off Jack Cohn and takes it to the house. Uh, That was awesome. That was awesome. Love the crowd reaction of that. It feels like forever. I mean, I I legitimately could not tell you who had the last defensive touchdown in a Virginia Tech uniform. I want to say it was Greg Stroman. Uh, Um, It might have been. I can't remember. Pat, do you have any uh, idea? The last defensive touchdown in lane? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only Uh, one I can remember is Matuka on the scoop and score. The last defensive touchdown in lane, I want to say, was Narelle Pollard against Pittsburgh in 2019. That's that's Um, it. That's got to be it. It was kind of very similar to the 2009 Miami game uh, where Ja'Cory Harris was sacked and he fumbled and I forget who picked it up. It was like, was it Dorian Porch? No, no, no. Dorian Porch. He made, he made the tackle. Um, tackle. But regardless. Yeah. um, But it's been a long time. I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever felt that way after a touchdown in my entire life. Um, I don't know about you guys, but man, I don't think I've ever gone that crazy after a touchdown. I think like it, it was felt, it was carnage in section five. Like people I were my soul, I think my soul just left my body and I just became one with section five and uh the Virginia Tech Hokies, man. It was absurd. And at that point, you know, you get a defensive touchdown in Lane Stadium on a night game against a ranked team when there's fireworks and all maroon everything, like that's a one-way ticket to winning the ball game. Uh and it just it just hurts. Dude, when that happened, I put <laughs> <laughs> I slipped and that fell. happened. I put my, 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 I put my coat back on. Cause I'm like, dude, it's going to be, it's going to be storm the field time here in about, in about, in about, uh, in about 10 minutes. So I started making sure I had everything around me, but yeah, it was, a, uh, it was unbelievable. Cause again, I had kind of surrendered to the idea that we're not going to score any points on offense and our defense comes out and, and, and says, hold my beer. I'll handle it for us. So yeah, I mean, that was incredible. Um, yeah. Um, and just shout out to Jermaine Waller, dude. Like, what a, just what a story. I tweeted it after the game. Last season, he was banged up. COVID obviously was a factor, but he was hurt. And I'm like, dude, he and Caleb Farley were going to be the guys. They were going to be a one-two punch from hell. Obviously, Caleb opts out for the, for the season because of COVID. Jermaine is still a little bit dinged up. He was going to be one of the top corners in the ACC. And this year, man, Jermaine Waller is putting it down as Don V says, first round that man, I'm so happy for him. Like really, I'm just elated for that, for that kid. Yeah. Uh, I would say, you know, defense, I alluded to it in my dislikes. They played really, really well aside from, from three drives. Um, we held Notre Dame to three of 12 on third down um, defensive backs had a really good game. A um, couple of picks. Yeah. Um, and also you have to take into account how difficult it probably was to prepare for who we were playing. Um, there are three quarterbacks that could have potentially played. Kyron Williams is an incredible talent, um, speed all over the field, getting ready. Is, is mayor going to play? Is he not going to play? Um, so, you know, it was a tremendous, it was a tremendous challenge to get ready for this game. And, um, 
for the most part, I thought our defense did a really good job. Yeah. You know, I think uh, one of our concerns about this defense has been, you know, will they get off the bus in the first quarter, you know, after that West Virginia game? And uh, they certainly did. I mean, that first drive, they they came on the field and they were so ready to go, um, just making Jack Cohn's life a living hell that first drive. You know, I, I think it is a bummer that we weren't disruptive in the backfield the rest of the game. Um, you know, Josh Fuga is going to be a guy who will really become a leader on this Virginia Tech defense uh, in the years to come. Um, probably should have put this in dislikes, but as far as, you know, only getting two tackles for loss and both of them were sacks, um, you know, is a bit of a concern. In the first um, yeah. But, um, you know, it, it was great to see them get off the bus here and really set the tone um, for our offense to, to go in and take advantage of them shutting them down. Yeah. Moving on to uh, special teams, Grayson, what do you have for special special teams are great. I'll just special teams were tight. JPR. I, I, I'm i going to be honest, John Parker Romo, if you're listening, man, I didn't think you were going to do it. I really didn't. I, I knew t- he wasn't going to do it. I, turned, I, I, I literally even Matt and I said, there is a 0% chance that this goes in me too. I don't dude. know why Kyron Williams is not back there to return it. It's I was literally, I was literally, I looked at my dad. I looked at my brother, everyone around me. I'm like, there's not a chance in hell. There's not a chance in hell. If you think he's going to make this field goal, you are out of your mind. And all of a sudden he kicks it and it goes down the middle. And I'm like, it'd have been good. Well, five. I was like, it would have been, you're right. It would have been good from 65. And I'm like, okay, like Jermaine Waller, apparently John Parker Romo is either been listening to the podcast or he heard me in the stands and he's like, Hey, Grayson, shut up. Uh, I'm about to prove you wrong. Um, I do. I do think it helped though, because it was so far back. It was almost like it was a kickoff. Uh, That that was a comment that I think my dad said, he was like, it was almost like it was a kickoff. He just had to just kick it straight, and it was going to go the hell out of the ball, man. Kick it yeah. as hard Yeah. Brian Johnson. Did Brian Johnson hit like a 56-yarder or a 54-yarder last year? It was like a he hit a far goal. Um, yeah. yeah, he had a – He had a. I think it was something over 50. But, uh, I mean, that's one of the most impressive field goals I've seen us make since I've been – since yeah. I've been going to games. Mm-hmm. No, hats off to JPR. And also, guys, Peter freaking Moore, man. I mean, that guy can just punt the heck out of the football. He's reminding um, me of uh, – he's giving me A.J. Hughes freshman year vibes. Like, like I I think he has a real chance to be like a, a special, special teamer here. Um, mm-hmm. He is – he's phenomenal. Like, he is an absolute weapon on this football team. Long of 64, 49-yard average. Uh, he punted six times. So, as long as 64, he had – Two over 50. Uh, one of them was inside the 20. But, man, like having a weapon like this guy on our team is is critical when we have off, an offense that, you know, has its troubles. Um, so really excited that this guy is only, you know, a freshman in this program. And Billy Ray and I were at Joe's Diner on Friday, and we ran into uh, Oscar Bradburn. He came and had some coffee with us, and Oscar Bradburn had nothing but phenomenal things to say about him. Gassing him up, just said, I'm so excited about, about Peter Moore and, and his ability. Uh, so, I mean, I think if you watched Oscar Bradburn play at Virginia Tech, that speaks volumes. Um, Moving on to where the game was decided, uh, Grayson, I know you have a, a bit of a soliloquy here, so I'll let you uh, – Sure. You know. 
Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where was the game decided? It was decided in the last uh, three minutes and 55 seconds of the game. Um, and listen, Braxton Burmeister scores that touchdown. Section five is going crazy. We're absolutely losing their minds. But look, at this point, he's a little bit dinged up. And 355 is a lot of time for a lot of different things to happen. And shout out to Brian Kelly because he played the clock game really, really well. By the time the two minute and 26 second rolls around, they march down the field. They score the, they tie the game with the two point conversion, like we talked about. Uh, and as soon as they tied it, like Pat and I talked about, there was just this feeling of uneasiness, a feeling that's very, very familiar. I was like, if they've tied it, they're probably going to win the football game. If they've done, if they've come this far in tying the football game, they're probably going to win. So then we get on offense, we get the ball back. We're marching down the field. We get to three down territory. Braxton Burmeister throws to uh, the right side of the field. Trey Turner drops the pass. We all know Trey. I imagine he's still probably beating himself up over it, but you've got to make that catch. You make the catch. The ball game's over. Well, not over. Second but down. Second down, second down and 10, yeah. Yeah, it's it looks a lot better for us. Maybe we kick a field goal, but it's, it's looking good for us at that point. Uh, we don't convert. We have to punt. As a result, Cone does what he does, finds Avery Davis over the middle again, and – you know, they bring out the field goal unit with barely any time left. Their kicker drills it. Uh, and so, like Bill and I also talked about earlier, at that point, dude, it's like, okay, yeah, we have 13 seconds left on the clock, but the game's over. The game's over, and Notre Dame just won the football game. But if we stop that two-point conversion, I think we win, but we didn't. And so what I said was going to happen on the preview podcast – was what happened. We left the stadium gnashing our teeth thinking coulda, shoulda, woulda, all the different things we could have done, all the different scenarios that could have happened where we could have won this game. And that's what happened. And yeah. here we are. Let's talk about some of the decisions. I guess we'll do this now. Um, I think, so one of the big decisions uh, obviously was not going for it on that fourth down and one um, on Virginia Tech's 27. Um, I, I'm not sure how you guys feel about it. Um, you know, you can show me all the analytics you want. You can show me all of the, you know, advanced scouts that you want to show me. Um, when we punted that ball away, if you essentially go for it on fourth and one on your own 27, we're going to get ridiculed just as much if we, if we don't get it. Um, I, I had no problem with doing that. Um, regardless of what happened on that previous drive, I have the utmost trust in our defense uh, and I would rather go down with our defense on the field than uh, handing the ball over to Notre Dame on our own 27. That's just my opinion um, on that matter. Um, So I think, you know, a lot of people were acting like that was some sort of egregious decision. I think most, I'm going to be honest with you. I think most coaches in college football would have punted that ball away. Um, The other one is going for two after the touchdown run from Braxton Burmeister. Um, it is – I'm 50-50 here, um, probably leaning towards kicking the field goal, and here is why. If you go 4-2, um, you put yourself in a position where you're up two scores, completely understand that. The ball game is essentially over. Um, but if you go for one, you're A, telling Notre Dame, who has struggled all game, Uh, and this is before they even put Cone in the game, you're saying you have to drive the length of the field against our defense, score a touchdown. Then you also have to go for two 
and convert that in order to tie the football game. So, you know, you can make an argument for both sides. I personally would have rather just said, Hey, look, kick the extra point. I don't know. I, I, we haven't really been that good at two point conversions or sticking it in inside the five yard line this year. Um, I'd rather line up and have JPR kick it and trust our defense. So, you know, coach Fuente bet on the defense twice uh, and we got burned twice. Um, And that kind of hasn't been the story of the year, but that's what ended up happening. Um, and then sadly on that last drive, the Dax hit, I mean, we, we already talked about this, but you go from second and 10 on the 30 with Lane stadium going absolutely berserk to first and 10 on the 45 with the entire crowd saying, wait, what, what, what happened here? Um, but that doesn't excuse us from letting Notre Dame go seven plays, 75 yards and scoring a touchdown. So, um, so yeah, those, that, that was, that was kind of my thoughts. It was, it was gun tr- gut wrenching. Uh, even though you guys have so much more history in it, as soon as they, as soon as they tied it up, I was like, look, this is, this has got a, as Pat likes to say, we're in DV disasterville. Um, and that's, uh, and that's what happened. So, um, yeah. Any other points, Pat? Yeah. RE the, um, the two point conversions, if you, if you kick the field goal, if you kick the extra point after the first touchdown, you don't even have, yeah. it's not even up for debate the second time. Um, yeah. So it was kind of like one bad decision leading to another decision that was questionable at the time and is questionable now. The fourth and one stuff, like I'm, I'm with you on that. I don't think it was egregious to punt in that situation just because you're going to give them a short field. Um, I, I, I still, still wish we weren't in that situation to begin with. Um, but the, the whole two point conversion thing, I mean, if you make the right decision the first time and just kick the extra point when you're, uh, trying to score a two point conversion from the eight yard line with a backup quarterback, who can't throw the ball, you know, kick the extra point there and you can kick the extra point the second time too. And also be up two scores and not put us in the situation that we were in. So um, you know, I hate, I also just have to say, I hate coming on here after losses and just having to talk about every single decision that, you know, the game could have went this way or could have went that way. It's just, I'm just speaking as a fan. It's really frustrating to, to have to do it and to have to debate it. Uh, wish we won the ball game, but, um, yeah, that, that's it. Yeah. Moving on. Um, out to lunch. I don't think I want to do out to lunch. We already talked about the 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 targeting call. Uh, we talked about the holding call from Garbutt, but I, I'm not gonna. I, I, this was a game that was really hard fought. There were, I'm sure, calls missed on Notre Dame's end. Um, one of them was, I really felt like we got away from a roughing the passer uh, in the second half. Um, there were a couple other plays there that are escaping me right now that we got away with. Um, and I'm not going to blame this game on officiating because I think it was a really, really well football, hard, hard fought football game. The targeting call was brutal. Um, so for out to lunch, I'll say that students were literally out to lunch and enjoying themselves, uh, with roots, natural kitchen. Um, it was great to see that, uh, that how excited people are. People love roots. It's super healthy. It's super good tasting. I had, I had two or three of them myself, um, the soccer team. How the soccer, soccer and soccer team who's been absolutely incredible this year um, uh, played Louisville this weekend. Um, they, we ran into them in the parking lot and countless other students. And then um, once we decided to head over to, uh, to the German club, we brought it with us, went to center street. People were all excited. I'm not gonna lie. I felt a little bit like, you know, Moses parting the red sea <laughs> with, with the roots. I mean, you go down, 
you go down to center street with beer or food. I mean, you're basically, you know, the most popular guy in within a mile. So it was, it was exciting. Um, but students were excited. So, uh, if you haven't download the roots app, use sons of sat 21 for 20% off of your order from roots, natural kitchen. Um, let's go ahead with shout, out. shout out, shout out to Matt from roots. Shout out to Matt from roots. Thank you for helping us out making it so easy. Um, helmet stickers, it's Braxton Burmeister, man. I mean, he's, he's played it. He played as well as I've ever seen him. He's been under the microscope. He's, he's, uh, you know, we've been very critical of him. People have been very critical of him and and it's understandable. It's, it's, it's warranted. Um, but for him to come out there and play the way that he did as, as, as banged up as he was, man, like hats off to him. I hope he's, I hope he's healthy because I don't want him to be hurt obviously, but I'm also hope he's healthy because I, I believe in him. I, 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 you know, I think he has a lot of challenges and a lot of growing pains that we're working through right now. Um, and I, uh, he's passionate. He loves his teammates. He loves this team. He's playing really hard. And I want to, I want to see him succeed. I, I want to see him succeed. I want to see him get over this hump. Um, and I think he took a huge step forward this week. Um, so I just want to tip my cap to him. Um, hope to see him continue to get better and be, uh, you can't say under center with this offense, even though we did go under center once, but hope to see him behind center. Thank God. I love that for the record. Yeah. Third and one <laughs> under center, baby. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. And we got the first down. So anyway, right. Jermaine Waller, helmet sticker, that pick six was pick six, dog. That was so <laughs> dope. Was so awesome, man. I just I love defensive touchdowns. And, and I love the picture of uh of like jay ham reacting to it like you can see justin hamilton behind him and he's like running with him that was so cool i think i don't mean to get get soft here that picture picture kind of made me emotional man i just i i i know how much this means to these kids and um regardless of how you feel about the coaches as, as a whole or coach fuente or coach hamilton or whoever like it means a lot to all those guys um, and the emotion and the fired upliness of, uh, of everybody, man. I just, I really do like this team. I really do. Um, and it's crazy to think that we're eight or nine points away from being five and zero. Oh. Um, this team does have its challenges and, you know, everything's going to kind of play out however it's going to play out. But um, yeah, shout out to Jermaine Waller. What a, what an incredible play and what a timely play. That kid is a kid's a stud. Peter Moore gets the game ball, or not the game ball, the helmet sticker from me. I feel like Mark May and Lou Holtz on college football final, giving out the old helmet sticker. You guys remember that? Um, that's, a, that's a throwback. Good yeah, Lord. I, I used to watch. Lou Holtz is doing well. I, I used to watch college football final every single Sunday morning just to see if like Eddie Royal would get a helmet sticker for returning a punt or something. How is there no, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't mean to go off tangent here. ESPN is doing a bad job of promoting college football. There's nothing like that anymore. The day after it's all NFL stuff. And also during the week, it's all NFL stuff. Yeah. There's not enough college football content to consume anymore. Does anybody else feel that way? Uh, oh, I'm, I'm like in cohorts with that. I, th- I agree with that. Like we have the show, the jump, like why are we talking about basketball in, in September for an hour on ESPN? Can we talk about college football, please? It's, it's as if ESPN's trying to divert everything onto the ACC network or the SEC network. There is the big 10 network. It's as if they think that since they have their own networks, they can carry the load. But I mean, 
it's going to get eyeballs. They see their ratings every single Saturday, and I'm surprised that they don't have more content going on, you know, throughout the week. I'm not surprised that ESPN continually making bad decisions, actually, um, based upon their previous track record. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Just give us some more college football content. We would all enjoy it. Game um, ball. Game, game ball. ball. Game ball. Hey, boys, it's homecoming week. Game ball. Got the Ranger company. Yeah. Delivering oh, the game man. ball. Running it so around true. campus all week. Man, mm-hmm. I miss that tradition. Uh, Billy Ray, who gets your game ball? I feel like this should be a pretty unanimous. I feel like this is a unanimous game ball. Um, there were guys that played really well on both sides of, of the of the field. Um, it's the crowd. Like I, I'm floored at the at the love, the dedication, and the energy that fans bring every time we have a big game at Lane Stadium. Regardless of how the team's doing, regardless of the situation. It was another game where you go in the stadium an hour early, the student section's packed. It's another time where, you know, there were times where my buddy Steve, it was his first time in Blacksburg. I mean, it's it seemed like you just literally anytime there's a big play, someone just turned the dial up and you just, it goes from ha ah to ha. Ah, and it's just, it was an incredible environment. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. It was beautiful. Um, and I thought the fans were incredible. Um, and played a huge difference, multiple false star penalties. Um, you know, you can go and read what some of the people from ACC Network who made the trip from. And, you know, I also shout out to ACC Network. They did a great job with some of the stuff set out outside the stadium and everything. But, uh, man, it's just uh, it's hard not to get emotional looking around. And, you know, during the national anthem or during halftime or during the entrance, like it, we, it's such a special school. And I'm so glad that the culture surrounding football is that special because it's not like that anywhere else in this conference really and any and it's very rare to see that in the country i want to say something about that because i saw some things going on on twitter over the last you know 48 hours after the game knowing that we lost the game and that we're 16 and 15 or whatever in our last 31 games against power five opponents and that virginia tech fan base deserves better you know we deserve wins and i completely agree with that but i also saw something that Lane Stadium being an intimidating place to play is a false narrative. And I think that is a completely false argument. Um, Lane Stadium is a very, very challenging place to play. You can ask Sam Howell about playing in Lane Stadium. You can ask Kenny Pickett two years ago about playing in Lane Stadium. Can, Can Lane Stadium deliver a win for Virginia Tech? No, that's up to the players. That's up to the coaches. And, you know, the fans are the cherry on top that can make a difference on a wide variety of plays, especially while on defense. Um, But to say that Lane Stadium is not a tough place to play just because of the record of opposition uh, is a ridiculous thing to say. Uh, If that game's on a neutral field, you know, we could have lost by maybe one or two more touchdowns. You know, if that's at Notre Dame, it could be a completely different game. The way that the fans get into it, and that Lane Stadium is juiced up definitely makes a difference. Um, it's not going to give you the win, but it's going to be a contributing factor. Um, sorry, I know that was a long tangent, and this is game ball. I give my game ball to John Parker Romo uh, for hitting those three field goals. You know, he came in, I think, one of three on the year and said, Hey, guys, I got some work to do. Made all three, banged them home, uh, especially that yard, uh, that long one. So JPR gets it from me. Where do we go from here? Um, 
where do we go from here is conference play. Um, there are probably people rolling their eyes here. There are probably people that are pissed off with the current situation, uh, pissed off with how things have shooken out. We couldn't have had, we could not, you could not write more gut wrenching losses than we have had in the last three weeks. Um, but the end of the day, we play Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh Panthers are coming into Lane Stadium in a couple of days in a in a in about six days. Um, they're averaging fifty two point four points per game. That is the highest scoring offense in America, folks. Uh, Pittsburgh has an incredible quarterback in Kenny Pickett. He's been there for a hundred years. They have Pat Narduzzi, who hates Virginia Tech. Um, I'm not actually sure what Pat Narduzzi likes, um, but it is officially beat Pitt week. Um, this is do or die. Like, I mean, that's that it is what it is. You can call it what you want to call it. This is do or die. Um, you could not write a better situation for Pitt and Virginia Tech right now. Um, it's us and Pitt. Georgia Tech and UVA are kind of from the outside looking in at two and two in the conference. Most of their conference play is behind them. Um, Miami just uh, found out today Miami lost Derek King for the entire year as he is getting season ending surgery. And North Carolina lost to Florida State. That is their third conference loss this year. Um, so that's where we go from here. I mean, our football team has shown that they're incredibly resilient, that they're going to play extremely hard. This is another really, really hard loss to stomach. So um, so that's what we got. We got Pittsburgh coming to town in a week. Um, but uh, what do we have for things that must improve? Um, I can kick it off. Virginia Tech and these type of games. Um, I guess I just want to say this. If you look at this football game in a vacuum uh, and remove how you feel about coaches, remove the history, remove all of the, all of the data that we have, I kind of look at this game and it's two really good teams played each other. Some t- Some guys made big plays. Some guys missed out on big plays. And one team had to lose and one team had to win. Um, and, you know, if this is year one, if this is a different situation. I think that's kind of how you walk away from it. You said, man, really good environment, really awesome effort. Um, but we got better. Like, like we're going to improve like that. This is a game that we already chalked up to a loss. Um, we did lose it on a conference play. Uh, I do feel that way somewhat in that, you know, we got better and there's a way to improve, but it seems like every single time we play this type of game, this is what happens. You get in the game winning or right there in the first half and it's heartbreak city at the end of the game. Um, And that's what has to improve. Um, Whether it's with this coaching staff, another coaching staff, it has to stop. Like I, I, like it, it, we talked about it after the West Virginia game, the dolphin, I want to die with the Virginia tech helmet on. Like, I mean, that's kind of funny, but that's what it is. I mean, in this, in a vacuum, this game is two tar teams that put a hard fought football game and we came out on the losing end, but it just happens far too much for, for how good our fan base is and how special that environment is. We deserve to have moments in lane stadium, like that North Carolina game a couple weeks ago. Uh, and they're so far and few in between. I'm sick of like, you know, <laughs> Pat, I'm sure you do this a lot. Grace, I'm sure you do this a lot. You type in when you're bringing someone to Lane Stadium, Lane Stadium entrance. 
and it's five or six videos of an awesome entrance. And then in the back of your head, you're like, oh, I remember this entrance. Yeah, we lost this game. Oh, yeah. I remember these fireworks. Yeah, we lost this game. Oh, I remember this entrance when Kirk and Corso were here. We lost that game, too. So it's just you have to start winning these games, man. Uh, thank you, Billy Ray. I couldn't agree more. And so I'm going to go on a little, a little kind of a tangent here. Let's talk about the hard stuff. Uh, it's worth noting. You got to point this out. Justin Fuente and company are now 0-6, 0-6, coming off of bye weeks. That is deplorable in every fathomable realm. And Bill just said it. This fan base that pours their heart and soul into all things Virginia Tech football we deserve better than this. Here's some facts for you. It's always the, man, we were so close, or damn, we had them. When are we going to finish one of these games? I saw Darlex on Twitter. He said, and I quote, Virginia Tech has got to learn to close the deal in these kinds of games, and quote, a freaking men, brother. I'm with you. Also, Pat just talked about this. Virginia Tech is 16 and 17 at home against ACC opponents since 2014. Here's my question, and this is tough. On the national stage, what good is a grand entrance with a recurring sour product? I love Inner Sandman. I will always love Inner Sandman. But I love winning football games and big football games at home way more. And I'll say it, while I think the team played their asses off, because they absolutely did, I hope that serious staff changes are made at the end of this season. And guess what? For all the people on Twitter, guess what? We aren't the SEC. If you if you think it's going to happen on some random Tuesday in October, it's not going to. It's just not. I also think that the team deserves better, too. It's year six. This is where we're at. We're only five games in. But I, I really I don't care. If this staff were going to continually clinch the Coastal and have us competing for ACC titles, it would have been happening right now. It would have already happened. So, my doubts about player development are also are also very a cause for concern. Y'all remember Hendon Hooker? I know y'all have seen it on Twitter, but he has the highest QBR in the SEC and he's fifth in the country. Quincy Patterson had 182 yards for two touchdowns and 60 rushing 60 rushing yards and two touchdowns this past Saturday. Why is that? Because both of those quarterbacks that were seemingly broken in Blacksburg have found coaching staffs that play to their strengths and play to their abilities and give them the stage to be the best that they can be. So I don't have faith that this program, as it currently stands, will ever elevate back to where it once was under this regime. And that's a problem. I have a problem with that. To end this rant, I will say this. I've said it a thousand times. I don't have a lot of affiliations. There's not a... There's not a lot of things in this life that make me truly happy. Virginia Tech football is one of them. And if you are a drain on that, then I don't want you around. And so that poses a very difficult question. Where do we go from here? I will say this. Changes have to be made on the staff. It has to happen. Otherwise, we will continue to sink into mediocrity. It has to happen. It's a tough conversation, but it's one that we have to have. So, Pat, do you want to say anything before I go? Um, for me, it's, you know, things are going to shake out and things are going to happen at the end of the season. I think Grayson's right. As far as like, nothing's going to happen this season. It's going to happen after the season, if it's going to happen. And I don't know what that is. Uh, we still have seven games, uh, that are left on the schedule and I don't like saying it, 
Um, but our goals of winning the coastal and winning the ACC are still in front of us. I think we've been talking about out of conference play and how, you know, middle Tennessee state game. We're not going to learn anything about this team, Richmond. We're not going to really learn anything. Um, Notre Dame. Oh, it's an out of conference game. Um, there's no excuses after this Pittsburgh game. You know, we're going to know what is going to happen with this team, with this coast of the division and with, with this staff um, in less than a week's time after this Pittsburgh game kickoff on three thirty or at three 30 on Saturday. And we have a team coming to town that can score 50 points on us. Um, if we beat Pittsburgh, I'm sure spirits are going to be a lot higher. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a huge, huge challenge for this team. And if they can do it, then, uh, then power to them. I don't, I don't really like our odds against Pittsburgh, but the point of this rant is uh, we're going to have our answers sooner rather than later, um, whether that's one way or the other. I think that's exactly where I stand. Um, Yeah, I think um, here's what I don't get. Going into this game, everybody who doesn't want Coach Fuente here anymore is saying there's no way that we beat Notre Dame. And that Notre Dame is whatever. We should just focus on winning the Coastal. Okay? We're going to lose to Notre Dame by two touchdowns. We're going to lose to Notre Dame by two touchdowns. We're going to lose to Notre Dame by two touchdowns. We play Notre Dame. We lose the game by three points. We did, I, In my opinion, we didn't lose the game because of an atrocity on offense from play-calling perspective. We didn't lose the game because the players did not show up off the bus and didn't show up to compete in the football game. We didn't lose the game because Coach Fuente has lost the locker room. We lost a hard-fought football game. It is the context of everything else outside and how it has gone so far. If you look at this season in its entirety and what's happened so far, finally, for the first time since 2016 or 2017, we are recruiting at a level where it's going to actually make a difference. Is it too late? It very well may be too late to be recruiting at the level that we're recruiting right now to have the impact that we wanted to have, okay? But to say that because we lost a game, everybody chalked us up to lose, that now is, oh, now we know our, that, that this is it for the coaching staff, doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Coming into this game, I said it wasn't an absolute must win. The absolute must win is against Pittsburgh. Um, and I think that's what the position that we put ourselves in now. After you lose to West Virginia and after you lose to Notre Dame, you're putting all of the pressure on this Pittsburgh game. But to say that now we need to make the executive decision that coaches need to change because we lost to a Notre Dame team that came to Virginia Tech and defeated us at Lane Stadium when we can take control of the Coastal Division and have a chance to play for an ACC championship, potentially against NC State or Wake Forest or a really bad Clemson team, seems incredibly premature. And for anybody that's saying that we should fire a coach in the middle of the season – Go take a look at how USC looks right now after getting smoked by Oregon state and getting smoked by Utah and continually. I love that. I love this mantra of, well, you get to put your name out there earlier. If you don't think that coaches that want to be head coaches are looking at what different schools might be looking for somebody, you're kidding yourself. Firing your head coach in the middle of the season does nothing but be unfair to the players that are in the program and bought in. Okay, and put you in a position to just embarrass yourself the rest of the season. So I am in the camp of, look, pro, anti, in the middle, don't care. 
The answer is going to come to you at the end of this Pittsburgh football game. And as the rest of the season boils out, because at the end of the day, if you beat Pittsburgh, you're in the running to go to the coastal, the, the coastal championship. You are in complete control. So that's I'll say, I'll say, I'll say two things. Uh, one, I agree. So we said at the beginning of the season, we had the, the big four, UNC, West Virginia, Notre Dame, and Miami. Miami ain't a big four anymore. Now it's Pittsburgh. It's it's Pittsburgh. I, I, I don't feel it's threatened by Miami anymore. I agree with Pat in the sense that we're going to find out everything. I think with the the people who are fed up with with this staff, it, it's, it's not so much that I, I don't blame necessarily the the staff in the Notre Dame game, but it's just the, the recurring theme that we can't close these, these tight games like West right. Virginia and Notre Dame. And it's like, Oh, you talked about it too, Bill. It's like, it's just this recurring thing. Yeah. It's like, why not? Mm-hmm. And, and, and just why can't like that has to change. And so that kind of, that starts at the top that starts at the top. And so I think people are fed up. And and I get it. You're, and we're not it's, we're not firing anybody in the middle of the season. That's just not going to happen. It puts us at a disadvantage. But at the end of the season, some changes have to be made. Changes have to be made. And I think we all, in some capacity or another, and I'm not saying I'm not name dropping, agree with that to some extent. Um, maybe I'm I wrong. It's so I think it's so early to make to make a blanket statement like that. Like, I mean, if you take a step back and you look at this season, right? And this is not making excuses. I'm not making excuses. Like, we should have won the West. I feel like we should have won the West Virginia game, and we were in a great position to win the Notre Dame game. We started the football season with a brand new quarterback playing North Carolina, Middle Tennessee, at the road against West Virginia, Richmond and a top 15 Notre Dame, Notre Dame team. And now we are going to completely have a perfect measuring stick of where is Virginia tech in the coastal division right now, right now against everybody else. So to sit here on week five and say that, I know that we need to do this right now. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we were just saying that Miami was in the big four. And now that changed because, oh, Miami's not good. And Pittsburgh said everything can change at the drop of a hat. So to, to make these decisions this early doesn't just doesn't. But make we also sense. have we also have a few years sitting on of of this. We, there's absolutely, other, we absolutely there's other things to look back on. Dog. Like you got to consider do. that. I, I completely agree with you, which is why I think winning the coastal, regardless of how you feel, is the do or die for this type of situation. Cause that's, no, that's what it boils down to because the, my, my only other argument is who the heck else are you going to go get? And is that any better? So win the coastal or half of the people are going to get exactly what they want. So. Yeah. Here's the thing, Grayson, you said last week that the Notre Dame game was the must win. Um, I think the Notre Dame game was a nice to win would be awesome to win the Pittsburgh game is a must win. Um, I said, just to be clear, just to be clear, I said, I said it was a must win, not the must win. (laughs) I mean, dude, but those big games matter. Those big games matter, guys. Nobody's saying saying it doesn't matter. Nobody's saying it doesn't matter. It's the the fact is it was a top 15. It was a top 15. No, 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 no. Because finishing had nothing to do with it before the game even started. 
the reason that you're so upset is because of how we lost the game. If you can't yeah. say that there's no way we're going to win a football game, we're going to lose by multiple scores. I'm not saying you specifically. I'm saying most people. Most sure. people thought we were going to lose to Notre Dame by multiple scores. I picked us to lose to Notre Dame before the season started. That can't switch to the week of the game. You're saying, oh, it's now a must-win game. That, that, that makes no sense. That makes zero sense and has zero impact on our goal of winning and performing and hopefully winning our conference. Because Notre Dame before the season was a playoff team. We were not a playoff team. So that's fine. And I'm I'm all with the coastal race. And obviously, like you guys, want to win the coastal, want to get to the ACC championship. I also want to win every freaking game we play. I think so. All- like, <laughs> like, I don't know what we're talking about. And I guess about every here. game is a must win. Every yeah, baby, it is. It should be. Like, but I mean, it's, 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 it's unrealistic, but th- that's the mindset. Like that's gotta be, I think it's gotta be the mindset. mindset. I think it's everybody's mindset. I, I think it is. But to, to, to put everything on a non-conference game of, we need to fire everybody. If we don't beat Notre Dame is, is, is foolish. Pat, go ahead. I'm sorry. I derailed your, your, your talking point. I just, I just think there's so much noise out there and we will know more in five days after we play Pittsburgh. Right. You know, it's just like speculation, speculation. Let's have a conversation. Let's fire everyone. Let's. And let's I didn't say that either. I didn't say that either. For I didn't the record. say you did. I said I changes. Say people are saying. So, I, I mean, I mean, Grayson, if you come on here after every single loss and say changes need to be made, I know that. I'm just saying it, it gets really tiring just hearing that and hear and seeing it and hearing it and seeing it. Changes need to be made. Changes need to be made. We know it's just like, let's play Pittsburgh. And then if Pittsburgh blows our doors off, which they very well might, I think we can really have a serious conversation about changes being made because the coastal division is bye-bye if we lose on Saturday. Yeah. So I think sure. like, I guess like I'm just, it is extremely frustrating being a Hokie fan right now because yeah, um, there are still goals to accomplish, but at the same time, it's like, let's, let's fire everyone after losing to Notre Dame when Pittsburgh is really the more important game. And if you would have asked any Hokie fan last week, which game do you want more? <clears throat> everyone would tell you Pittsburgh, but it sucks. The way we lost makes it worse. It's salt in the wound and we're all going at each other. And it's last, last thing I'll say, last thing I'll say, What's crazy, too, is if somehow we win this football game, we're getting on this podcast and saying, yo, Brad Cornelson, this guy completely turned it around from the West Virginia game. The guy is dialing up, doing different stuff. We're getting the ball downfield. We're connecting on long passes. How about that Trey Turner play in the fourth quarter to put it away? One or two things go differently, and then everybody's saying that the, that the you know we have changed some things. Because if you, again, go back, and look at our offense since the uh, since the West Virginia game. We have tried new things, but yeah, we're going to learn a lot more against Pittsburgh. It's it is an inflection point. It is possibly the most important game of Justin Fuente's career to this point. So that's that. Yeah. Let's uh, let's keep this moving here. Unanswerable uh, questions. <laughs> go ahead. Sure. Uh, I I guess this we only got one today. How did Armani Chapman not catch that potential interception? He was right there in the right there in the bread basket. Uh, oh my gosh, uh, that was tough. That was really really tough. Got to be able to catch that. Uh, we'll move on to the positive silver linings real quick. Per Fuente, Braxton Burmeister will start will play against Pittsburgh mm-hmm. on Saturday, and we need him. We need him bad. Uh, so heal up. 
stuff that is in football, um, wrapping it up here. So instead of good or bad, I have a couple of things that are not good or bad. It's just take it as it is and do what you want it. Go listen to Coach Fuente's response to Mike Nisiolak. Um, I think this was the most emotionally available Coach Fuente had been in a post-game press conference. Um, Mike Nisiolak asked him about the locker room um, and how to bounce back from adversity. Uh, and regardless, of, like I'm removing how you feel about, you know, our current standing. Um, but a lot of people out there are, are kind of um, throw around that maybe some people don't care. Maybe some people don't take it very seriously. Um, maybe some guys aren't given max effort. Like I think if you listen to any presser uh, with the players or the coaches, I mean, these guys, their entire life revolves around football and making this happen. A couple pictures that stood out to me after the game, I saw coach vice is taking pictures with guys that he's hosting on visits after he loses, after we lose to North Carolina, he's out there recruiting, talking to guys like these guys live, breathe, eat, sleep, football, players and coaches. And that's emotional. Like that is, that is a tough pill to swallow, especially when you work so hard at it. Um, so I, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. Um, and we already talked about it, mid-season firings. That is stupid. Um, there's no reason you should do that. Uh, on the bad end of things, ACC Network, you suck at doing condensed games. You are so bad at it. There, are, You watch the condensed game and you have no idea what's happening. You, you give no context to quarterbacks getting hurt. You give no context into us having the – we went from first and goal on the goal line to us kicking a field goal. It's like, hey, I would love to know how um, – if I didn't see the game, I would love to know how – Virginia Tech didn't score points here. You have no context into, you know, the targeting call. Just how about for condensed games, you put all of the plays in without all the BS. It's going to be about 10 minutes longer and it's going to be a 15 times better product. So fix that. And then the other bad that I have, um, I, I might be, this might, I might catch flag for this too. Booing coaches in the stadium when we're doing starting lineups is whack. I don't care how you feel about the coaches, his kids, his parents, and his wife are more than likely in the stands. I, I, I hate that. Not his, his players. That uh, happened. No, booing, booing the coaches. No, 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 I, I I didn't hear that. I didn't. Yeah, no, it it was about, it was about 50, 50 before the game. We get, uh, we get booing. Um, but, uh, you know, feel how you feel about the coaches tweet what you want to tweet booing in a stadium where his, you don't know where his parents, his kids, anybody else are sitting. It's just, uh, it's classless. Um, so, and also screaming at, you know, Notre Dame fan, you know, Notre Dame fans. Don't do that. A couple times walking around campus with Cartier, Claire and, uh, and Brian, people were doing the, uh, had a couple F Notre Dames or Notre Dame sucks. Hey man, look, go out of your way. Make sure people have a good time. Last time I went to South Bend, people were so courteous and nice. Don't be, don't be a jerk. Don't be, don't be a head ass. Be a, be a good person. Be a good person. That's all I have from not football. Does anybody else have any not football stuff? Moving right along. Um, letters from the lunch pail. Uh, let's take it home from uh, yep. Liam Kinsey. Go ahead, uh, Grayson. <laughs> Liam Kinsey uh, asks, Braxton did not look healthy by the end of the game, and Blumberg is probably gone. Who do you see as our new QB2? Uh, I, I feel like it's got to be Knox Kadem. Uh, I, I, I think people on Twitter who were saying we'll probably see Todd Bullock, I don't know if we will. Uh, I, I I don't think that they want to burn his red shirt. I mean, I guess he could play if he wanted to with the new rule, but 
I feel like it's still going to be Knox Kadem. Does anyone disagree with that? I think it's pretty dumb um, to try to to try to like stick your chest out and say that somebody is ready versus not ready to play as a true freshman. When you're not at practice, you're not at scrimmages, you're not at anything. And you're trying to tell somebody that somebody's ready to play like that. That's pretty dumb. So, I mean, I would go, I, I would honestly say, I think it was Knox Kadem before this. Uh, I think Blumrick when he came in, in, uh, in relief of, of Burmeister, we were in a situation where we could just kind of ground and pound the game out and Bert and Blumrick had something going, but if a quarterback has to play for an extended period of time, even if Blumrick is, is healthy, I would go with Kadem cause you at least have to honor his ability to throw the ball. Cause he has done it before. Um, so yeah, I, I would go, I would probably say Knox Kadem. Um, Steve Bryce with knowing Narduzzi will man up outside and blitz our less than 100% quarterback. Would the better strategy be going three wide throwing on first and second down instead of trying to run and drain the clock to keep Pickett off the field? Which poison do we pick? Um, I, I I'm going to say this. We'll get into this on our Pittsburgh preview. I want Braxton to continue to develop. Um, I, I haven't d- dove into kind of the numbers for Pittsburgh, but we're, this is not at the time. I don't think this Pittsburgh game is going to be the kind of game we're going to be able to win 17, 10 or 24, 17. Like th- this is going to, we're going to have to score points. Um, and to do that, I think we gotta, we gotta get the ball to our playmakers. Um, I don't think it's going to be a game where we're just going to be able to ground and pound Pittsburgh. Um, so yeah, I would love I would love to see us throw the ball around a little bit. Um and with a healthy Braxton, let's let let's go for it. So that's that's my answer to that. Smiling shout outs. Um brought to you by the Chesapeake Center for Complete Dentistry and shout out to Dr. John Cran, uh Cornell, the lovely Cranham family. Uh was doing their book signing. Just a great family. Um check it out if you haven't yet. Uh the Cornell effect and if you need any um dentistry work done, check out the Chesapeake Center for Complete Dentistry. Um yeah, I just want to shout out Steve and Matt. I mean, I've talked to them for coming to uh about coming to Blacksburg for eons and I'm so glad that they were able to finally make it. Um Shout out to Sharkies hosting another wonderful event for us. Shout out to Edison Moeller, Katie Argianello and um, Bridget Smith for holding it down in the pouring rain at the Sons of Saturday uh, table on Thursday, handing out phone wallets, pins, interacting with students. Um, they said about 60% of students knew Sons of Saturday in some state or form, and 40% of students came up and like didn't know about it and were interested in learning. So, you know, we definitely want to engage with students more, do more special things like that. So um, we appreciate it. And I want to shout out, I mean, I don't know about you guys. I'm sure this happened, but several times um, people who I've never met just pull me over and say, Hey, look, I really enjoy what you guys do. I appreciate what you do for Virginia tech. I I love listening to you guys. Um, And I think, you know, we get on here and we talk wins and losses. We talk transfers, we talk everything around Virginia tech, but at the end of the day, like this is so fun for me. uh, And I know it is for you guys. Like I, I love this school. I love talking about it. I love meeting folks from different walks of life, different years, graduating, talking about, you know, what did you study? What do you do? Um, You know, and just interacting with folks that's been being able to stay as connected to the Virginia tech community as I am this, you know, 
being out of school as long as I have has been one of the greatest joys that comes out of this. And I'm constantly reminded of that uh, when I get back to Blacksburg. So I just want to tip my cap to Virginia Tech and the alumni and everybody that listens. And it does mean a lot hearing that uh, from you guys. So thank you. Couldn't agree more with you there. Um, I lost my phone this weekend and the Virginia Tech community, someone turned it into Squires. It's been at Squires the whole time. And my sister just got it. Um, you know, obviously me, not happy that I lost my phone, but the people of Virginia Tech are the reason that we love it so much, uh, among so many other things, but definitely one of the standouts, including Robbie Hoops, uh, John Cran, both of them gave away tickets uh, or donated tickets to Sons of Saturday, and we did giveaways on Instagram um, over this past week. That was a ton of fun, um, and just being able to give some students who were looking for tickets to the game, an opportunity to go. Um, really appreciate that. And I uh, really appreciate the ge- generosity of Robbie and of John. Um, I want to give a shout out to Evan Hughes and Chris Rieger played golf with them at the river on Friday. That was a ton of fun. Uh, and honestly, I, I could give shout outs for hours. It was so much fun seeing so many people that mean so much to me and so much to us. Um, so maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just start that list for next week uh, for Pitt. But, um, you know, anyone who I ran into this weekend had a ton of fun and uh, can't wait to do it again next weekend. Yeah, the closest thing out, y'all, obviously, everyone who we, uh, we saw at Sharky's on Friday, everyone who I saw around Center Street, uh, whether that be like Billy Ray said, people who came up to me who either know me from the podcast or uh, just from school. I got to see a lot of my fraternity brothers I haven't seen in a long time. We took a great picture together, by the way. Can't wait to throw that up on the gram. Uh, but just, and then shout out to my, my, my dad and my brother who I got to see and, uh, shout out to the sun Saturday. Always love you guys. Was so, was so much fun hanging out with you guys. It always is. Uh, and I can't wait to do it again here real soon. Guys, I'll, I'll leave this with one last thing. Saturday is a massive football game. This team is laying it out on the line. They've played extremely hard. Whether you, however you feel about the season, however you feel about anything, it is homecoming and this environment on Saturday needs to be raucous and it is going to make a difference for these kids. Um, do it for Trey Turner, do it for Braxton Burmeister, do it for Josh Fuga, Dax Hollifield. Um, show up. It is a massive, massive game for Virginia Tech. It is a massive game for this program. Um, and as close to a must-win game as we have to have. Uh, it's homecoming, 3.30, in Lane Stadium. Show up, bring your friends, encourage your friends to go. If you're not going, get your ticket to somebody. 3.30 is the perfect day trip time. If you live in Richmond, if you live in Northern Virginia, if you live in North Carolina, <laughs> you can make that on a day trip. You don't have to spend like $900 on a hotel in Blacksburg or an Airbnb. Uh, make the day trip, have some fun, you know, pay one of your buddies to drive you if you don't want to drive and uh, let's do it. Coming back at you in a couple of days with the Pittsburgh preview. I hope everybody has a great week and we will talk to you soon. smoke out windows drink till we can't stand but i saw you dance like you want to in my head and all that she said is oh i know it's what you think
Man. 